Hey, so here's where we're at. We're in Romans 3. We are in our fourth week of basically a series on just God. We are calling it God Made Known. We want to talk about God. And you're like, isn't that what church is where you talk about God? Like, yes. But we want to just focus on the characteristics and attributes of God. When God revealed himself so often through the Old Testament, he would do so by his attributes. If Moses is like, God, show me your glory. And God says, well, I'll let my goodness pass before you. You'll see my patience, my long-suffering. God really lists off attributes so often uh, when people want to know him. So here's what we're doing. We want to know God. My, my hope, and I know we're very limited in this, we're taking a finite mind, trying to understand an infinite God. We're very limited, but this incomprehensible God is knowable. And we don't want to just study God in the sense of like a textbook in school. Like we really want to know him. I shared this with you, I think, the first or second week. My concern in this series is that we grow in information, and maybe it's just some knowledge, but not really knowing him. Again, I think many people know of God or know about God, but do we know him? So I don't want to just have this be a time where we, we grow in some you know, cool thoughts, interesting ideas, biblical ideas. We really want to know him. So again, my hope as we walk through this is that God would actually even just like restore worship, our sense of worship when it comes to him. I feel like the last few weeks, it's, very, it's just very sweet. When we just study God and put him in his rightful place, he truly is worthy of all honor and glory and power Do his name. And there's something about just like studying who he is. They're like, yes, like the only rightful way to respond is in worship. I think in many ways, maybe we have like an anemic view of God, like meaning maybe we've heard a lot of shallow kind of messages or thoughts, and we want, just want to dive deeper into just the character and nature of God. Yes? Yeah. So as we're doing this, I want to make sure I also clarify, because we're going to like slow down, talk about basically one attribute a week, but there's a tendency to maybe highlight an attribute above the other attributes. So as we talk about God being holy, righteous, faithful, mercy, grace. As we walk through some of these attributes, don't think that he's one more than the other. We really got to understand that. So uh, the last couple of weeks, if you're with us, we just talked about that God is. We did an arguments for the existence of God. Please go back and listen to that on just the classical arguments for God's existence. Then we had the first week we did God is holy. Last week we did God is joy. And that was really fun to teach on, especially in light of today. Um, but we, we did God is joy. He's a God of joy. And today we're going to do God is just. So my hope in this is kind of, and maybe you're like, just what? He's just. He, he's true. He's righteous. Um, he's perfectly balanced, you could say. He, he's, he's right in his execution of judgment. That God is not error. He, he's just. So as we talk about this, it's interesting. Um, we did holy. We did joy. We're kind of like, not that it's good attributes, bad attributes. not that as much as it's some attributes that we come face to face with our, like, our sin, our humanity. And somewhere we just kind of relish, oh, wow, God, you're, you're joy. Or, wow, God, you're good. Next week, we'll look at love. You know, it's around Valentine's Day. Uh, but we're going to kind of pair these attributes together. So we did holy, joy, and today we're looking at just. All right, you ready? Yes? All right. Uh, and let me just clarify. That's really sad. Are you guys ready for just? He's just. And let me say this, the idea of just, when you actually get to the, the Hebrew and Greek word of just, there's a similar shared word, which is it's just or he's righteous. There's another kind of way this spins off. If God is just, God must be a God of wrath as well. Again, welcome to the exchange where we teach about just the wrath of God. Um, this is one of those things where we have to. And actually, I think within all of us, we know deep down that we must worship a God who's just. If he was unjust, he would not be worthy of praise. If he was unjust, he would not be good. And so this is an incredibly important attribute of God 
that maybe we want to gloss over, and it's like we have to slow down and talk about how God is a just God. Yes? Amen? Okay, one more Tozer quote, because I have to begin with Tozer every week. Here we go. He says, God has no parts any more than a diamond has parts. God is all one God. And everything that God does harmonizes with everything else that God does perfectly because there are no parts to get out of, uh, out of joints and no attributes to face each other and fight it out. All God's attributes are one and together. Again, as we talk about the ju- God being a, a just God, even as we talk about the justice of God, as we kind of play this out, it's very difficult to talk about this but not mention his mercy or not mention his grace or not mention his holiness, or righteousness, or wrath. Like, again, so I'm going to do my best to focus on this idea of just, but it introduces a plethora of questions, as we'll see. So here in Romans 3, we're going to read verse 21 through 26. Martin Luther called this the heart of the gospel. Romans 3, 21 through 26. So why don't we just read it, we'll pray, and we'll see uh, this balance that, that Paul shows us here. Romans 3, 21. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You can say amen. That's in Christ Jesus, whom God puts forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. A beautiful blend of God's righteousness, of God's grace that is freely given, and how he is now just and the justifier. Uh, my hope today is to try to kind of pre- present to us a paradox and try to answer that. How can God be gracious and just? How can he be both? And so we want to do this by focusing on God being a just God. Yes? You with me? All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we just need you. <laughs> Lord, we really need you. God, I ask that you would speak, that you would move. God, I ask that you bring clarity God, I ask that we would see you for who you are. Thank you for being just. That's incredibly humbling when I think about it. Just because of me, my my life, my choices. But I thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us. God, we ask that this idea of you being just, this just who you are, um, Lord, that we would again balance it with just, just the rest of you. We need you. We need clarity. God, we ask that this would transform us. God, that you being just would change how we serve, how we give, how we pray, how we love, just how we do life. That, God, your character and nature would just be reflected in us as image bearers of you, that we too would be just. And uh, we need you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. If you're a parent, um, you will understand this dilemma sometimes, but there are many times my kids do something that is, that is not good, but it's hilarious. And if you've ever been in this position as a parent, it's very difficult, right? There are many times my kids did something. I'm like, they, sh- they should not do that. I should be a parent right now and step in. But like, you have to like, turn your face and laugh. 
Uh, and it happens quite a bit. Uh, my, my son and daughter both. This happens, I feel like, all the time. And sometimes it's innocently done. Sometimes they don't even know what they're doing. My daughter is two. She turns three, like, next week. And uh, she right now, and I don't know if I should even tell the story, but I am. Um, she right now loves to, like, point at things with her middle finger. I have no idea why. It's not us. But she loves to, like, point at things with her middle finger. That's what she does. She's two years old. And so, you know, she's two, and she met a stranger the other day. And you probably know this story is going. And someone's like, hey, uh, oh, hi, sweetie. How old are you? And she goes, I'm two, but only held up her middle finger. And, uh... You can imagine, like, the lady's like, oh, okay, thank you. And she did it with, like, a smile on her face, right? Just a smile on her face. It's like, what does your dad do? He's a pastor, and I'm too. And I'm like, oh, scary. But it's, it's funny. She just does this all the time. Now, it, there's also sometimes, like, a defiance with it, right? And it's really, it's cute. She's, too, she's just adorable. And I, my wife's like, you're, you're terrible with her. I'm like, because, you know, sometimes I, I'm a little bit nicer. Um, but she's too. So sometimes she'll look at me, I'm like, hey, throw away your trash. And she'll, like, look at me with her trash, just drop it. And kind of stare at me, like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, sometimes you just walk away and not laugh. It's just hilarious. The defiance, sometimes it's funny. Now, obviously that's terrible, and like I'm not, this is not parenting tips, but there is this dilemma. And if you're a parent, you get this. There, this, is, this is difficult. It's like, when, when do I show grace, and when do I bring correction? So meaning, there are definitely times where like, I know, like, okay, this is very clear. Like, this is a teachable moment. I need to correct them. I need to discipline. They need to see there's consequences for their action. And sometimes as a parent, you're like, you know. There are other times where like, I just don't know. I'll be honest, my son has been like the last year or two smart. You know, he just, his favorite phrase right now, if he messes up, is like, give me another chance. He just says, give me another chance. And there are times in my brain, I'm like, maybe I should give him another chance. I mean, he guess he, he deserves it. But then I'm like, no, you little manipulator. I am not, I, I don't know. It's just so weird. And it's funny because I'm bringing this up. I, as a parent, I really don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'll look back in 20 years when they're in counseling or something and be like, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Um, but it's weird. There's these times as a parent, you're like, I know I need to, or maybe I don't. Like, should I show grace? Should I bring correction? Do they need to see that there's, there's going to be consequences? Let's bring justice here. And it really is difficult. And I do feel like many times I do get it wrong. The times I should show grace, maybe I'm a little too heavy-handed. Maybe the times I'm uh, showing grace, I need to be, be corrective. And I hope you understand this dilemma. And here's what I'm trying to say. God does not fit into that dilemma. Meaning, as a parent, there are times I go, how do I be just? How do I teach them correction? How do I also show grace? And I, I want us to understand when it comes to God, God obviously knows perfectly well how to do that. We are made in his image. I have a broken perspective of, of maybe justice. I have a broken perspective of grace or maybe how it should be executed or when or to what degree or what is the lesson here. It's an amazing thought to think that God is completely just, completely righteous, and completely full of mercy and grace. And the dilemma I have, he does not have. The dilemma I have of when do I do this, how do I do this, is, the right, is this the right time, is this the right way to the right extent? This is such a thing that we kind of project our, our attributes onto God rather than understanding our, his attributes and then how sin perverts that in us. What, I, what I'm trying to get at is God is completely just and completely gracious. But how? Think about this, right? This is the question. How can someone be just and justify the wicked? Like, this is the great dilemma. God, if you're just and you're good and you're right, and you should give someone due their punishment, but how can you be that and gracious and merciful at the same time? You guys with me? So God is just, but we know that doesn't just end there. We know there's other attributes associated with that. But how can he be both? So let's just make sure we clarify some things. Um, I'll give simple, simple definitions, right? So grace, grace, for example. Grace is basically not getting or getting something you don't deserve. 
So in a sense, maybe there, you mess up, you blow it, and, and grace would be not just that you're shown mercy, but, you know, my son, let's say he messes up and does something wrong, and it's like, not just I show you mercy, but, hey, sit down, I'm going to get you some popcorn and, and ice cream. Like, the idea is like, it's, all, it's like, whoa, what, what is that for? It's, I'm not rewarding you for bad behavior, I'm just showing you incredible grace. You know, mercy might be just not getting what you deserve. I did something wrong, I deserve punishment. Mercy is, you know, I'm going to withhold punishment from you, I'm going to show you mercy. Grace is like a step forward. Uh, and then justice, or being just, or justice, is just simply getting what you deserve. I did this sinful thing. I deserve a consequence. I, I messed up here. I deserve a bad. I deserve a consequence for that decision. And so the question again is, how can God be just and gracious at the same time? So I want to do this first through the lens of just God being a just God. And, and here is what Paul does in Romans three. In Romans three, what we just read, Paul is like, you see his righteousness. You see how the you see this even not just from the law of God, not just from the commandments. You see it in him. He is righteous. You see that he is just and the justifier to all those who believe. And you also see his grace. You see that he's freely given us redemption through his son Jesus, through his blood, that he bought us at a price. And he goes, you can see the grace of God and the justice of God. And again, the question is how? How can you be both at the same time? Either God is completely just or you say he's completely gracious. And people have struggled with this for a long time. So let's just walk through this. Uh, Three points today, just to kind of clarify. And we'll kind of answer the question on the last point. So here's the first thing. God is just. First point, title of the sermon, same thing. God is just. Number two, uh, God loves justice in light of that. A just God who loves justice. And then we're going to see God must judge. A just God must judge. He's not going to be good or a just God if he doesn't judge. All right, so first point. You guys ready? Uh, God is just. Now, again, when we use that word, we've got to try to define it. It goes back to the idea of he's righteous, even like the idea of good that God is perfectly balanced in every decision, that God, actually, what he does is justice. What he does is just. Not that he has to abide by some law or commands that he's given. Just if he does it, it is just. It's unbelievable. Like If he says it, if he does it, it is a just thing he's just said or did. He is just. A few verses we'll like throw up here just so you can kind of take some notes and unpack this a little bit. Uh, first one, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Just the phrase, he says, God is not unjust. And he says to forget your work and labor of love. But he's saying God's not unjust. Uh, Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. You rule from this place of righteousness and justice. Deuteronomy 10, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, yes, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and widow. We need to see that, just simply put, God is just. I mean, this is mentioned quite a bit in a lot of different ways. But again, what he does is just. This is maybe so different. Sometimes we might hold our standards against God. Well, if God was just, then he would. And we feel like God maybe should be held to a standard when God creates the standard. He is the standard. If he does it, it is simply just. One author named Sam Storms uh, said it this way. When we speak about the justice of God, we have in mind the idea that God always acts in perfect conformity and harmony with his own character. He always acts in perfect conformity and harmony with just his character. So another way to put it, put this up here. God doesn't do or command something because it is right. It is right because it is done or commanded by God. So if he does it or commands it, it's simply good, just, righteous. Here's what I want to see, or I want us to see. There's like two word pictures in the Bible when it comes to the justice of God. I just think this is helpful. Uh, He's described as a righteous ruler and a just judge. When I say God is just, I want us to think about this. He's a righteous ruler. He's the ruler we've all longed to see. 
we have never truly had a righteous ruler. Like, I think our world is craving a righteous ruler. We will just not find it other than in God himself. He is that righteous ruler. There's no, nothing behind the scenes we're not unaware of. There's no ill will or motives. It's not like he has something up his sleeve. He is simply a righteous ruler. He's also a just judge. It's beautiful when you see a judge actually come to a, a, a good judgment. Like, wow, they're not, they're not you know, being bribed or they're not being pushed a certain way or they had to go a certain direction, but he's just a just judge. This is incredibly important. Uh, it says in Psalm 96, he shall judge the world with righteousness. He's a just judge. Now, here's what I'm getting at. When I say God is just, I want us to understand as we talk about even justice, we could never know justice apart from God. Here's the idea. When we talk about justice today, you know, popular term obviously is like there's social justice, there's justice, and justice should apply to every sphere, every realm. But when we talk about justice, we could truly never know justice apart from God. Like God is the rule, God is the standard. We could never know justice. We all have a broken uh, idea or approach to this topic of justice. I think when it comes to justice, we all have a personal bent, a personal opinion, and everyone brings that to the table. God is the standard of justice. We must understand this. There are a couple like mainstream thoughts when it comes to the idea of justice, and I just want to portray one. I think uh, in some ways, just you could say it this way, a secular or progressive view of justice, we'll try to define it, that there is no supernatural reality, and so moral values and the definition of justice itself are invented by human beings. Moral claims are basically culturally constructed. There's this idea that, again, when it comes to justice, we, we kind of invent them. And it's hard. What happens when I have a definition of justice and you have a definition of justice? What happens when those definitions of justice don't line up? People would say, there really is no objective justice. There's just a subjective justice. But do we really believe that and live in light of that? I think we have to understand that there is objective justice. That we could say, this is wrong. This is evil. You could never truly say, give me justice if justice was just subjective. Like, it has to be objective. There's a side of it where we have to stand outside of ourselves and say, this just cannot be personal. Again, why in the heart of man or woman do we go, we know fill in the blank, we know rape or murder, we know these things are wrong. Like, this is, this is unjust. And for us to say this is unjust or I don't deserve this, you can never really say I don't deserve this if we all define justice differently. I mean, it's just very important that we have a common definition of justice, and the idea is we would never know justice apart from God. Tim Keller put it this way. He says, biblical justice is significantly more well-grounded than the way the world views it. He says, it is based on God's character, a moral absolute. While the other theories are based on the changing winds of human culture, biblical justice is more penetrating in its analysis of the human condition, seeing injustice stemming from a more complex set of causes, causes social, individual, environmental, spiritual, than any other theory addresses. I think when we talk about this idea of just or justice, we have to do it from the lens of just God. We have to see that's more complex, or it's more nuanced than maybe we give it credit. Then we talk about how do we approach these, these, maybe these cultural issues on justice. Again, how does God define or view justice? We'll look at this more number two, but we need to define that. We need to understand that. It's incredibly important. One author says, all of us are prone to replace God with our own vision of justice. This can tyrannize both social justice advocates and those who are indifferent to justice. Please hear that again. All of us are prone to replace God with our own vision of justice. You know, and this is a problem. We go, I have this vision of justice. And maybe, maybe it's right to an extent. Or we say, maybe we ignore just the idea of like justice needs or justice issues. But we need to get back to this, this biblical idea of, first of all, we would never know justice apart from God. We can only know justice because of God. 
because of who he is, his nature. It's way more complex than maybe we give it credit. And it's simply God is just. And I think we have this craving for justice because we are made in God's image and God is just. And like, why do we want to see this? Why do we, if we feel wronged, we need to see justice because God has placed us in our heart. We are made in his image. And we need to see it stems from something much more. Even when we disagree on what is justice, we need to get back to then, okay, how, how do we, is there objective justice? And where does objective justice come from? And we say it comes back from God himself. So here's the idea. God is just. Now, I want to keep playing into this and keep going. But number two, God loves justice. Meaning this is like who God is. God does justice. You're like, what do you mean? This is just, this is just God. It's really interesting how God introduces himself so often in the Bible. Like how you introduce yourself matters. So I might say, hi, like I'm Kimber's husband, if you're like a friend of Kimber. Or if I don't know someone, they're like, oh, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm just, like, I'm a pastor of this church locally. Like how you introduce yourself matters. Here's how God introduces himself a lot of times in the Old Testament. Ready? Uh, here's the verse. Psalm 10:18. it says, the Lord inclines his ear to do justice for the fatherless and the oppressed. Psalm 68, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 99, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. Uh, Psalm 103, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. In Isaiah 61.8, he simply says, I, the Lord, love justice. Let me say this, basically the way God introduces himself, he goes, hi, hey, I'm the father to the fatherless. I'm the defender of the oppressed. What I'm trying to get at is this is how God says, this is who I am. I love justice. I care for this. We should be incredibly thankful for this. Justice is not a, a, world, a worldview idea that the church steals from. It's like, oh, the world's talking about social justice. Maybe we should. No, it's not that. God is just. God loves justice. He goes, I defend the oppressed. I'm the father to the fatherless. This is who I am. This is my nature. I think this is so beautiful. I might have mentioned this a while back. I remember reading... Um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letters from a Birmingham jail. And it was just brilliant how he put this. He goes, listen, if the church isn't first and foremost about justice, then the world will be known for justice and it'll just look like we're borrowing from the world. If the church isn't first and foremost fighting for justice, then we're basically gonna try to you know, follow up or catch up with what the world is doing and we never wanna play catch up or follow up. We need to lead the way when it comes to this. He goes, I, the Lord, I love justice. I care for this. This is who I am. This is, my, this is the way God has wired me. This is the way God is. And this is the way God has wired us. Now, here's the idea. This word justice in the Bible is mentioned over 200 times. Like, when you read the Old Testament, you could really summarize that God's trying to make it really clear he is good, he is righteous, he is just. Over 200 times, we see this Hebrew word mishpah, and it's just the idea that God is just. The definition, simply put, is this. He makes right. God is, he, he's, he makes right. He makes broken things straight. He makes uh, broken things, he fixes them. He just makes it right. God just, again, that's who he is. He just is just. If you remember in, in Micah, it says to love mercy, to do justice, to walk humbly with our God. God is just like, just do this. I love justice. Now, when we describe justice, there's like a negative side and a positive side. Sometimes we talk about justice. It might be this person did something wrong and we need to bring them to justice. Or it could be a positive light. This person's experienced some sort of pain. We need to help them out. Like we need to bring them justice. Not necessarily in a consequential way, but we need to help them in a supportive way. So the way, there's two ways to look at this. There's restributive justice and restorative justice. Restributive justice is that the guilty party is punished for their crime, which is proportional to the offense. And then restorative justice is seeking out vulnerable and oppressed people and helping, offering care and support. The Bible says both are needed. Those who've done wrong, we need to bring correction and the right form of judgment. And then those who are experiencing pain or stuff, we need to come alongside and help. My thing is this. I'm so thankful we serve a God who's just. 
I'm so thankful when you see something wrong and you go, what is wrong? Like the world is broken. What is going on? God is like, I'm patient. I'm long-suffering, but I'm just. Like this will be made right. I will make this right. There's a side of this that I think brings me so much comfort. And I just don't want to pass over this, that God is a just God. God is a God who loves justice. We see this, again, listen to this in, in Proverbs 31. He says, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. This is maybe a more restorative way. Not that they should have a consequence justice, but that they should have a restorative justice. See that they get help. But let me point this out. We live in a weird world and moment where we have this imbalance of justice. And just hear me out. The Bible, I think, is so forward-thinking in its approach, because here's what I mean by that. Um, we might say, wow, this people group or this person has experienced injustice, and the scales have been imbalanced, and rather than going back to justice being balanced, we're going to go back to like, tip the scales in their favor. And the Bible actually speaks into that. Listen to this. It's Leviticus 19, verse 15. He says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. He goes, don't even, like, just, just because they're poor doesn't mean you give them a benefit. Just because they're poor doesn't mean you kind of lean justice in a different way. I think the Bible just has a holistic approach to justice, which I find incredibly helpful. Or if they're great, don't defer to them either. The Bible just saying, hey, we got to seek out justice here. And we would never know justice apart from God. We would never know how to approach this apart from God. This is just who he is. And God invites us to this. He goes, listen, I love justice. I'm calling you to do justice. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, he says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Please plead the widow's cause. Church, if, if you hear, I, all I want you to hear today is simply is this. Like we have to join God in his mission to bring justice. Meaning this idea of even shalom. There will never be justice. There will never be peace. There will never be righteous ruling until God is here. I do believe that. Does that mean we're just passive till then? No. But we say, God, I want to be a part of this. You want me to plead the fatherless's cause? Let's do it. That's maybe why, not maybe why, that's why we partner with things like Four Kids. That's why we partner with Compassion International. That's why we partner with different ministries and nonprofits to go and say, we've we got to plead their cause. We've got to be a part of this. We're not here just to play games and do church. Like, we've got to be a part of God's mission to reach and save that which is lost. Amen? God's like, I love justice. This can't just be something you think is a good idea. I mean, again, there's over 200 times God's like, I am just, I love justice, I've called you to justice. And God's like, I really care about this. God is just. If God is just, we as image bearers should be just as well. But here's the problem. I think too often we're focused maybe sometimes on like outside justice and not our own injustices. Meaning, I, I sin. I break the law and the command of God. I'm so worried about other people's issues or sins or what's going on, but I don't even think about my own internal issues sometimes. Uh, one author says, there seems to be an abundance of boldness on matters of social justice, but not on matters of personal holiness. Let this not be in the church. We care so much about social justice, but our own personal holiness and our own personal justice is way off. Meaning like we're not participating or there's sin in our life, unconfessed sin in our life. And we want justice over here, but we're also sinning in our own life. There, it, it says this, judgment begins in the house of God. Justice begins here with us. Like we gotta go, I gotta, I gotta work on myself before I try to fix the world. I think that's incredibly important. Now, here's what I want to get to, the, the paradox, the question. God is just, God loves justice. But the third thing I think that's incredibly important is God must judge. So how can God be gracious and how can he be just? Because if God is just, he must judge. So just stay with me. God has to judge. There ha if God is a just God, he must judge. Could you imagine an unjust um, uh, judge. Could you imagine what that looked like? Imagine some guy did some terrible thing, rape, murder. He's standing before the judge, and it's awful. It's some heinous crime or sin, and the judge just takes his gavel, bangs his gavel, and says, one week community service. Like, that would not be okay. 
Like, he just murdered someone. And what does he get? One week community service? Like, no, no. A just judge must judge. So we got to see that. Like, there has to be justice. Again, I want, us to, I want us to really feel this because if you've ever been wronged, like, I just remember one time I left my bag at the gym and someone stole a couple things back in high school. And I remember, like, finding my bag in a different locker than where it was. And I remember, like, the, the person, like, someone, someone went through my stuff. They stole it. I don't know. It was, like, probably stinky clothes, too. But I just remember feeling, like, so wronged by it. And, like, I'm, like, I got to call the police. And, like, well, for, like, what, $5 worth of stuff? But it's, it's this feeling of, like, this is so unjust, right? If you've ever, like, the, the thought, though, of, like, something being unjust, we have to, like, make it right. It's just bizarre. Like, we all want justice when something is done to us. If something's ever happened to you, someone steals your wallet, does something, you're like, I want justice. But what happens when you wrong someone? We don't want justice. We want mercy. It's just we're really funny. When it comes to justice, we're like, give me justice. But what, do we want justice for ourselves? No. Like, I don't. I'm just like, please show me mercy. I don't know. Like, I want that. I don't want justice when it comes to me. But then yet, and it's there with me, why is there within us this crazy desire for justice? We might see a movie or film, we might see something like some terrible guy do something awful to someone, you know, kills a family, whatever, something awful. And like the whole movie is this pursuit of this guy. And you're just like, get him, get him. Like we want, we just want justice. And why is that? God is a just God and he's created us for this desire for justice. But at the same time, we all know we don't want justice. And it really is weird. Like God, if you're good, you must punish sin. If you are a just and righteous God, sometimes we think grace means God just winks at sin. Can I just explain? Grace is not God being like, got your back. That's not grace. He still has to punish it. There still has to be justice. But how? And to me, the only simple answer is in this one word, propitiation. And I just want to talk about this. And this is like I want to slow down. Propitiation. This is where justice and grace collide. This is how God can be fully just and how God can be fully gracious is through propitiation. You're like, what is that? Why don't we just read again verse 23 through 26. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Ready? He says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You're still like, okay, what is he saying? What is propitiation? Everyone just say the word propitiation. Say it, propitiation. This is a beautiful word, maybe not talked about enough. Reference here, reference in 1 John. But it's this beautiful idea of how can God be gracious and just the only simple answer is just propitiation. You're like, so what is it? I'm going to try to give a simple definition and then unpack it because it has a lot of rich meaning. Uh, this word propitiation, uh, simply put, means to appease or to satisfy the righteous wrath of God. To appease or satisfy the righteous wrath, the righteous judgment, the, the just judgment of God. It's to satisfy that. It's to become favorable with God. But that still doesn't fully explain it. I want to point this phrase, whom God put forward, or maybe your translation says whom God put forth as a propitiation. This is a beautiful thing. He's basically saying God is the initiator of propitiation. God is the one who seeks it out. God is the one who makes himself favorable towards us. God put this forth. There's also another meaning to this. In the Old Testament, what was once done in, in secret in the Holy of Holies is now put forward. So just stay with me. This is really cool to me. Uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we call that the Septuagint, there is something called the mercy seat that is on the Ark of the Covenant. 
that is the same word for propitiation. It's this Greek word hilasterion. Now stay with me. So hilasterion, we'll put it up here, means propitiation. Hilasterion, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, means mercy seat. I want you to stay with me. This is so beautiful. Uh, this idea of propitiation is what we see, Im- the image in our mind should be of the mercy seat. What's of the mercy seat? If you guys remember, there's one day a year uh, called Yom Kippur where the high priest would basically atone for his sins and the nation's sins. And eventually, on this day, he would take a blood or a basin full of blood and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And the idea was blood was shed, sins were paid for or atoned for. The wrath of God was propitiated. It was made favorable towards us. This idea that the mercy seat, when you see the mercy seat in this picture here, but you see the mercy of the two cherubim pointing their you know, wings at each other, you realize this is the hilasterion. This is the propitiation. This is where the righteous wrath of God was fulfilled. He's going, you, you read it. Sin must be judged. God could not be just if he did not judge sin. And the sprinkling of the blood happened once a year because, again, whether you know, a lamb or a, a goat, its blood was not sufficient to last forever. So they do this once a year. And the idea was sin was judged, sin was paid for, blood was shed, sins are forgiven. And I love this because the, the high priest on that day, he would take his hands, he would lay his hands on the, the lamb's head, he'd confess his sins, he'd confess the people's sins, the sins of the people. As he confessed his sins on top of the head of this lamb, it's almost as if my sins are being transferred over to the lamb, Jesus being that lamb for us. My sins are being transferred over to this lamb. Then they take a knife, slit his throat, it's a bloody mess. They fill the bowl, this basin full of blood, and sprinkle on the mercy seat. And the idea was their sin. Sin is confessed. Sin must be judged. God could not be a just God if he did not judge sin. But the mercy seat is where that righteous wrath of God was appeased. It's that propitiation. Now, there's even something cooler, because I really want you to hear this, whom God put forward. Because the high priest would do this in, in, in the holy place. No one saw it. It's the high priest and God. No one really knew what was going on. They just like, trust that happened. But he's saying, look at Jesus on the cross. This is not done in secret. This is done publicly. That the sins of the world were not propitiated in secret. Whom God put forward. Whom God put forth. Like this was done in a public manner. So God could say, see, I want everyone to know this. That my righteous wrath was quenched. And you can see it made known public through the person of Jesus on the cross. And again, here's why I think this is even just more special. This this word that Paul's using is a familiar word to the Greeks, right? This idea of hilasterion or propitiation. I want you to understand, they also had their beliefs on propitiation. They also had their beliefs on hilasterion. Meaning this, uh, if you think about, if you worship some pagan gods, Greek gods, ancient gods, uh, there's a god for everything, right? God of land, god of sea, god of agriculture, whatever. God of everything. So for example, uh, if you want to appease the god of the sea, Neptune, if you want to appease that god, if you go, okay, we want a safe passage from this part to that part. We're going to cross over the sea. How do we make Neptune happy? We got to offer a sacrifice. We got to offer this a propitiation, essentially, this sacrifice that will satisfy this God's wrath. And so they would take an animal of some sort, they would spill its blood as well, and they'd say, okay, look what we have done. We have satisfied this God's wrath. Now we have safe passages across the sea. Now I want to point this out. Uh, Christian propitiation and pagan propitiation is extremely different. And here's how, but stay with me. This idea again was uh, to be right with this God, again, blood must be shed. And here's the idea. Uh, when you think about sin, how does sin really work? Sin is very interesting. Obviously, if I sin against you, I've, I've sinned against you. I've done something wrong against you. But what David says, which is really interesting in Psalm 51, is God against you and you only have I sinned. So ultimately, if we lie, if we steal, if we do something, we've sinned against someone, absolutely, but we've ultimately sinned against God. He's ultimately the greatest. We broke his law, his commandments. He's ultimately the one who's been offended. So we must appease him. Now, here's the difference. 
when it came to like ancient or pagan propitiation, the idea was, I need to make this sacrifice to appease this God's wrath. But when it comes to Christian propitiation, it's not me offering the sacrifice. It's God offering this sacrifice to propitiate himself. He's both the object and the subject of propitiation, and Jesus' son is the propitiation, which is saying, I'm going to make this sacrifice so that you can be favorable with me. It's not that you are making this sacrifice. It's that I'm going to make the sacrifice, and I'm going to be the sacrifice. And that is unbelievable. It's taking a step further, saying, no, no, this is not you trying to appease the wrath of God. It's God appeasing himself. It's God making himself favorable towards you. This is how God can both be righteous and gracious at the same time. Sin must be judged. Sin must be paid for. The mercy seat, the hilasterion, this idea of, listen, blood was shed. It must, it must be. But with Jesus Christ, the eternal one, the author, the maker of our faith, of our soul, his blood is enough. It's sufficient. And his blood was shed once and for all. And here's the beautiful thing. He did it. He offered it. He offered. He freely gave himself for us. You see, sin has to be judged. God's not some pagan God saying, you must propitiate me. God's like, you know what? There needs to be judgment. I am good, I am just, I am righteous, but you know what? You could never pay it. I have to pay it. Your blood's never enough. No lamb's blood is ever enough. I'll have to offer my own eternal blood. That will be enough. This is what is so beautiful about our God. He's like, let me pay the price. You, you could never pay the price for safe passage. I will pay the price. Whom he freely gave. This is how he's both the just, verse 26, he's both just and the justifier of those who have faith. This is the only way he can be just and the justifier. How can God be just and justify sin? Propitiation. This is the only way God could be just and true and righteous and also be gracious because of that mercy seat, because of that blood that was shed that he freely gave, that he offered up. I'm very thankful that my God can be both at the same time fully just and righteous and fully merciful and gracious. Only he could be that. Again, go back to the parenting illustration. I fail at that. I will fail at that. But God perfectly exhibits that. He's like, I will show grace and mercy in the same breath. Listen, sin, one way or another, will be judged. It has to be judged. God cannot just wink at sin. Sin has to be judged. And either your sin was judged and placed on Jesus as the propitiation, or your sin is on yourself. But sin has to be judged. God is just. He cannot just overlook it. So either you accept that payment through the person of Jesus or you don't and your sin is judged on you. Listen, God is so good, he will not judge that same sin twice though, I fully believe. If my sin was judged on Jesus, which it was, by my faith and belief in him, then guess what? He judged it. He paid for it. He's not gonna judge my sin on me. Why? It's on Jesus. He's also a just judge. So let me make sure this is really clear. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? just, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. I always struggle with that word just in that sentence. Like when I read that verse, how is he just to forgive? That was how. Propitiation. Because God judged sin, he won't judge it again. That's how he's just. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all righteousness. He is just to forgive. Again, like how? Because he already judged sin, he's not going to judge it again, so therefore he's just to cleanse you your sin. You with me? This is so freeing. Wait, my sin's been paid for by Jesus? I'm not going to be paid for it? No, he paid for, he's a just judge. He's not going to punish you twice for it. It's already been punished. He already paid that price. He was the price. That's unbelievable to me. It's so different than maybe how the world portrays Christianity or this, this they try to relate to pagan, you know, propitiation. Like, you've got to make the gods propitious or favorable towards you. God made himself favorable toward us. God was a propitiation. I could never pay a price that big. God did it. 
He is that mercy seat. He is that. He's that fulfillment. He is that payment. That is unbelievable. And this is why in the book of Habakkuk, in the book of Romans, and Martin Luther was so shook by this phrase, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It's, unbel- it's just shook the world. of Like, what? How is someone righteous? The righteous, the just. How are you righteous? By faith, by faith, by faith. It's unbelievable. It's just, this, is the, this is the theme of Hebrews. This is the theme of the Old Testament. By faith. Because truly, I'm not just. I'm not righteous. But I have, my faith in Jesus, his righteousness, his, just, his justness, his, his, his justice, place on me. I am not good. I am not holy. But by faith, my hands on that sacrifice, my sins being transferred, his righteousness being transferred to me, that is how. Whom he freely gave. And so that's why the just, those who are just now, those who are made righteous before God, they live by faith. Just like by faith, the priest laid his hands on that sacrifice, sins were transferred. And we too in faith, our faith is on Jesus. Sin transferred on him, his righteousness transferred to me. The just shall live by faith. And God is a just God. He's not going to punish sin that he's already punished. He is just. So I would say this, put your faith in Jesus. Confess and receive the free gift of salvation found in Jesus that he paid for your sins. Don't try to do it yourself. God is a just God. You will either pay for your sins yourself or you can accept the fact that Jesus received payment for your sins, that Jesus, Jesus received the righteous wrath of God for us. He was that propitiation. Either you receive it or you become it. Either Jesus is the propitiation or you are now it, and it won't work. That's why John, again, would go on in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He goes, Jesus is that advocate. He's that propitiation. He goes, you don't have to continue in sin, but if you do, guess what? You have a propitiation. I don't want you to continue in sin. This is why I'm writing this book to you, so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, you have a God who is an advocate for you, Jesus Christ, the just one, the righteous. And he was the propitiation for your sins. Your sins have been paid for in the person of Jesus. Can we just say thank you, Jesus? God is just, man. He's just. He will punish sin one way or another. And thank you, God, that you paid the penalty for my sin, that you were that, that offering, that you said, I will pay the price that they can never pay. I will become that sacrifice. I will be the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. That will be me. I will pay that price for you. God is just. God is just. And there's a sense of holiness and reverence and fear that comes with that. And there's a sense of beauty that comes with that. When you, when you say, it's not just like this fearful God is just, watch out. God is just, it's paid for. So receive it. Receive it. If you don't, he's just. Keep that in mind as well. <laughs> Either way, he's just. Either way, he's perfectly full of grace and mercy and he's perfectly just and righteous in every decision he makes. That's why heaven cries out in Revelation, true and righteous are your judgments, O Lord. Why would God ever allow this? I, true and righteous are your judgments, O Lord. If you do it, it is just. If you do it, it is righteous. Who am I to compare my standards to yours? God, true and righteous are your judgments, O Lord. I trust you in that. So he goes, I write this so you may not sin. Don't continue in sin. But if you do, you have an advocate, and you have a propitiation. His name is Jesus. And let that be the thing that sets us free. Let that be the thing that we say, I'll boast in the finished work of Jesus, but I want to also follow and pursue Jesus in the process. Because here's also the reality. Last thought is this. I'm also guilty of injustices. I'm also guilty of, t- of terrible things. And I do not want that justice on me. I just want grace and mercy. And we have that again in Jesus. So I'd say, plea the blood of Jesus. Say, I need you, Jesus. What you did is more than enough. Thank you, God, that you are just. You will not punish sin twice. And my sin was punished in your son, Jesus, and I receive that in your name. Amen?
and this might be bizarre because it's weird, but can we just praise God for being just? We would never want, we would never want, yeah, we would never want a God who's unjust. And again, it's one of those things where we look on in the future and say, but how, how does God, how come God allows this? Here's the thing, he's just. He will make the, the crooked path straight. He will. But I love how 2 Peter 3 says, God is long-suffering. God is basically giving time for people to repent. And there will be justice, but I'm thankful for this season of just, hey, repent. You don't have to continue in this. God is merciful and gracious. He gives us time to say, Jesus, I need you. I repent. So why don't we just do that? Why don't we just bow our head, close our eyes, just thank God for being just. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is joy. But he is just. He is righteous. That's all he can do. This is where the justice of God and the grace of God collide. Propitiation through Jesus. Father, we just want to thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for sins of the whole world. What a wonderful truth you've shared with us in your word. God, that you are, you have paid the price. You are enough. You've appeased the, your righteous wrath that deserves judgment. Father, we just want to say thank you. You're not just the judge who says, I will pay the fine. You're the person we sinned against. You're the person who says, I am the only one who has the right to drop the charges. I'm not just the judge. I'm the one you've sinned against, and I drop the charges. We thank you. We praise you. We need you. And God, we just say that you are just, you are holy, you are good. Just in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you guys to stand, and let's just close out with some worship.